Hello, friends of Soul Kitchen. Thank you for listening to my podcast. My name is Jasper Mutsaerts. I'm an entrepreneur, adventurer, coach, and wisdom seeker. With Soul Kitchen, I interview people that inspire me. From TED speakers to social entrepreneurs, from activists to artists, from dreamers to seekers, from business people to spiritual teachers. With Soul Kitchen, I empower people to live their quest. And each episode contains a recipe for life. What is your quest? So welcome, friends of Soul Kitchen. Welcome to episode 63. I'm calling in from Rio de Janeiro in Brazil. And today I'm speaking with the lead breathwork teacher of Soul Kitchen, Stephen Ebers. If you have been following this podcast, you've seen him earlier with the episode on breathing and experimentation. Um, Stephen is a full-time breathwork teacher, facilitator, and he has a mindset of experimentation. So he has a background in psychology, but also in the startup world in the tech world and in personal development. And he sees life as one big experiment. That's also one of the reasons why I like working with him because Soul Kitchen is a new organization. So we're experimenting a lot. And um, he is the lead breathwork teacher during our retreats. And today we will talk about why I have included breathwork in the Soul Kitchen philosophy. We will discuss a few case examples and we will also share some practical info about the retreats. Uh, breathwork has served me a lot. It has helped me in uh, maybe finding more balance in life, uh, processing certain emotions, uh, but it's also a tool for me uh, just to bring joy in my daily life. I wish I did breathwork daily. I don't do it daily, but I do um, I do it like two or three times a week. So I'm, I'm quite uh, disciplined with it and it brings me yeah, joy and, and, and peace of mind. And um, if we look at the retreats, uh, we see people coming for different reasons. And we call it vision retreats. Some people come because they want to set up a new company. Some people want to write a book. Some people want to move countries or are looking for a lifestyle change. It's people that are in a certain transition. And my first question uh, to you, uh, Stephen, why do you feel that Bradford is relevant for people that are in a certain transition? Yes. Well, you start off with a big one there. <laughs> um, well, because fundamentally, when you're when you're moving into um, into a transition, you're going from something you have been to something you're going to be, and it's very important to to realize that when you go through a period of transition, that's not just a contextual transition. That's also uh, a transition of who you are as an individual. And very often, the reason we became the person that we are today, that we're transforming from, um, has helped us, us to be safe, right? It has, it is, it's a version of us that knows how to navigate the world. It, um, it has a good job or um, it has certain relationships. It has figured out, oh, if I am this way in the world, then I survive, then I'm okay. So every time you go towards a transformation of you, you're also met with your own boundaries, your own resistance. Um, your own need for safety. Um, so that's it's a huge part, and that's really where the breathwork comes in as well. Because once you start to breathe and you start to learn how to be with all your feelings, that's when you meet the resistance. Um, and breaking through resistance is vital for for transformation. So um, I think it's the um, 
So it just came to mind, like I think it's the, the lobster or something. It literally has to break through its own shell to become a bigger version of himself. Um, and it's a bit like that, like you have to break through the version that you are. Um, and that's a process of uh, meeting resistance, so it's huge. And can you explain why uh, people that have a certain vision for becoming a new version of themselves or uh, creating something new, at the same time, they have a certain vision for something new, and at the same time, they're also resisting stepping into that version. Can you explain why those two things are happening at the same time? Yes, yes. Um, well, we, we like to think of ourselves as one thing. I am Steven, I am a breath worker, I am uh, friendly, I am never angry, I am blah, blah, blah. Um, but fundamentally, we are not one thing. We are we are many things. Um, sometimes they say you're not an onion with many layers, but you're a garlic. Basically, you're a collection of pieces, a collection of parts. And, and those parts are always in conversation um, with each other. And the version that you show to the world is often just that one part that at that moment in time is, is your dominant version, um, which means that one part of you might want safety. It might say, ah, oh, but you need a stable income. Ah, but uh, if you lose that friend, then you'll be alone, right? It's often driven by fear. And another version of you is ambitious. Uh, it wants something out of life. It's like, come on, grab life by the horns and, and go for it. And um, by starting to see yourself as a collection of parts, parts that developed throughout life, depending on what it is you went through, um, it can really help you to go through transformation because the good thing about parts is that you can work with them as individuals. You can say, hey, part of me that is scary right now or that is scared right now, what is it you need? How can I soothe you? How can I make you feel a little bit more safe? How can I basically tone you down a little bit? Or the part of you that is super excited, like how can we help that one come to fruition a little bit more? How do we turn that seed into a plant and really go through change? Um, so yeah, both can totally be alive. And it's important to recognize that because sometimes we can be judgmental towards certain parts of us where it's super important to remember like everything we do in life fundamentally um, is about staying safe um, and meeting our authentic self. And those are often at stake. And that's what you often see there. It's fear versus the authentic self that are uh, battling something out. The need for change, but also the need to keep things the same. And if you talk about the authentic self, uh, where is that uh, located uh, in the body? Or is it, is it even located in the body? Like, what, what does that mean, the authentic self? Yeah, that's a huge one. <laughs> I, um, well, like we just said, both things, two things can be true at the same time. I think I, I know and I don't know. As in, if you would ask me where, um, if, you, if you put someone through a scanner, where would you find it? I don't know. Um, at the same time, I think most people will recognize authenticity when it's right there. You can often recognize it in someone else when they speak and you have a deep need to listen. Um, when they speak and you're like, this I want to hear, this captures my attention, then they're often speaking from an authentic self. Um, but for me, authenticity is really an experience. It's lived in the body and it comes out through the head and mind. Um, but it's almost like the mind is secondary to that process. So when I feel authentic, um, there's something in the body that is happening. Now, for a lot of us, that's very difficult because we sometimes go a little bit numb uh, because we're doing and we're constantly in what we call a sympathetic state. And it's hard to feel 
But I think the authentic self comes with a feeling, right? A gut feeling, a heart feeling, an excitement or a fear. Um, and that guides our thinking. So, so when you ask me where is the authentic self um, in the body, I don't know. Um, but for me, it, it lives in the sensations. Um, when you follow a gut feeling, you almost never get it wrong. And even if the outcome is not how you want it to be, it still felt right to make that decision. I would call that your authentic self. I think that's a beautiful explanation. And indeed, if you follow your gut feeling, it always leads you to the right place. That's maybe my main recipe for life. You know, don't question your gut feeling. Because once you yeah. go there, you meet maybe uh, people or an experience that leads you to the next thing. Yeah. If you look at, we've now done three retreats uh, together, I think uh, with in total maybe uh, 30 uh, people. Uh, can you yeah. give one case example of someone and describe their future vision and also mm -hmm. their current resistance? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, I think a lot of people's vision um, is an outcome of the person who they want to be, how they want to live their life. And, and, and they want their career almost to be um, a practical version of how they want to show up in real life. Um, like, so one of the people I very clearly remembered was working for a big corporation. And I think, and I think she was having a, a, a good time there. And I think she was enjoying herself. But at the same time, there was a part of her that was saying, no, this is, this is not me. This is not how I want to continue my life. And actually, she completely changed career. And I think, you know, sure, income-wise, she might have gone down. But um, I actually met her a couple of months ago. And there's something about the eyes, often. You can see there's a sparkle in the eyes. There's, there's an aliveness to it. Um, and, I think, and I think it comes with a sense of embodiment as well. So when we, when we started the retreat, we had an exercise where we, where we used the body and it was just full of resistance. And you could see it in the way uh, she was moving and she even acknowledged that, like, oh, I find this awkward, I find this super difficult. And we did the exact same exercise at the end of the retreat where um, suddenly she was dancing completely freely and she was enjoying it, like playful, like a child. Um, and I think that's almost the same transition as she's going through in her career. Like to go from the, this is how it's supposed to be, the boxed in version of me to the free version of me. And now she found a new context where she, um, where she can be that freer version of her. And I think that's, that's huge. That genuinely feels like giving someone life. Um, and yeah, I mean, there's, there's many examples of that, but that's fundamentally what it is about. Becoming more of you through the process of the retreat and finding a way to bring that into your job. I think it's a great example of talking about freedom. Many people that I meet uh, while setting up Soul Kitchen or Soul Clients or people that listen to my podcast, a lot of those people are longing for a freer life, hmm. which in my opinion, like theoretically, it's not always so difficult to reach that. But what's holding people back is maybe voices from their parents or uh, things that they think they should be doing. So how would you, I mean, does this resonate with you in your practice? Is, is that a longing that you see in people to, to live a bit more freely? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think often people look for it in the, in the wrong places. Um, and I, even I would be an example of that. I once went on a, on a, on a six-month traveling trip uh, through Asia, but I didn't do it freely, though I was moving freely. Because the, the, the freedom is not in what you're doing. 
the freedom is the freedom is on how you show up um is in how you meet your sensations in how you meet your fear so very often like one can sit in a cave all their life and still feel extremely free um in their choices so for me freedom is is not necessarily about what you're doing but it's about how you show up as an individual and for me that's that's really the process of breathwork as well it's about um learning to be with all of your sensations so they don't decide for you how you show up right when you're when you're in a state of fear and you feel overwhelmed um that influences how you interact with people what decisions you make whereas if you learn to be with fear then you're in charge and you can say actually fear i'm not going to listen to you i'm going to go to a carnival or to the arctic or whatever it is you've been, <laughs> you've been to in the last two weeks um so so that's really what freedom for me is about freedom is about learning to be with all feelings and um then having the opportunity to choose which feeling you want to listen to rather than let them direct your life so that voice of your parents that voice of society whoever that is that voice of you that you've integrated um it often guides our decisions so we're not free uh, mm -hmm. so that's really for me the the challenge and where breathwork can be useful so if we look at another case example um, i've had a job uh, one full-time job i think for two and a half years and i've been now you could say self-employed for more than 10 years yeah and i've met many many people that at some point would like to leave their job and they come to me for suggestions like how did you do it how can i do it and also in our retreat we met someone that would like to leave the job but has a resistance there so what is your uh, like i have an explanation about that uh, that also has to do with finances because of course it gives a lot of financial security and then when you leave that job you don't know how it will go and some people are also afraid that they will have a gap in their resume they're a bit in that uh, mindset like oh but then i might have a gap in my resume i think at some point in your entrepreneurial journey you even forget about the resume kind of right? <laughs> yeah. um but what is your explanation from a breathwork point of view uh why people find it difficult to leave a job even though maybe that's their biggest desire i think for a lot of people a big part that's missing is almost a philosophy for life so um Yes, you're right. I think finances are, are often a big part of it. Um, but what are you going to do with that money? Like, very often, like, I mean, there's, there's tons of research about this, right? Like someone who wins a million and someone who becomes homeless a, a year later, they're equally happy. Um, so, so what is there in the finances that, that keeps you supposedly happy or keeps you in place? Um, what is there in your identity, right? That's often a big one as well. When I, when I become my job and then I quit my job and then I don't know who I am anymore. So there's something about the philosophy of life. Like, how do you want to live your life? Do you want to live your life, um, being as safe as possible along the way? Do you want to live your life where you say like, I want to have experienced it all, the highs and the lows, the, um, the success of the founder, the deep failures as a founder, um, maybe the corporate gig and the entrepreneurial journey. Um, so, so that is a big one. Like, how do you want to actually be in the world? One day you're going to die. How do you want to look back on your life? What, what elements do you find important there? And if you say, I want safety to be on top of that list, then don't change. Stay where you are. Um, if you say, I want to um, 
eat life with a big spoon, then maybe becoming okay with the unknown, learning to embrace fear and do things anyway, right? The definition of bravery might, might help with that. Um, so, and that literally requires you to think more spacious. Um, again, that's where breathwork comes in, right? Very often what I see, and it's actually quite interesting, there's a very strong correlation, not necessarily causation, I guess, but correlation between the amount of space people find in their own body when they breathe in and their openness to life. Like I often see that people with like very compressed chests or they find it difficult to breathe to the belly, they also have quite a strict identity on who they are and how they should live their life. Um, so just by finding more space in the body, you're also teaching yourself like, hey, it's okay to be with a little bit more, to experience a little bit more, to maybe take that leap. Um, so that's part of the process. Again, it comes back to fear and, and resistance um, about who you believe you are and a willingness to to maybe look at things through a different lens. I like that uh, concept of believing who you think you are. And I read a book on uh, shamanism by Carlos Castaneda. And uh, one of the recommendations he, he gives is uh, erase your history. And he doesn't mm. mean that you throw away all your family and friends. I mean, some people do that, but I think that's extreme. But it yeah. means that who you were in the past or who you believed in the past doesn't dictate who you are today. I think some people, let's say, they decide to be a dentist and then for 40 years are a dentist, uh, which can be a highly respectable decision. I mean, I think it's amazing that some people... Uh, serve as a dentist for their entire life. But what I like about that erasure history that you can like kind of wake up and decide to be another person. That's what I like about entrepreneurship. I founded a few different enterprises. So at some point I woke up, you know, now I'm the chef of the soul kitchen. And maybe at some point it doesn't longer serve me. And then I wake up and I'm something else. Yeah. Um, so I, li I like that uh, part. So can you elaborate a bit more on uh, believing who you are and how breathwork can kind of maybe open your mind a bit or maybe uh, give you new opportunity. Yeah, yeah. Well, so this is fundamentally what breathwork can do for people. Um, well, on, on a brain level, something very interesting happens, especially using the technique that we use. Is um, It basically what it does is it shuts down your prefrontal cortex. This is the part of your brain that um, provides you with inhibition, uh, that basically tells you to not do things. So whenever emotions or sensations or feelings come, come up, that's basically the part of the brain that also goes, no, 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 we're fine. And it's basically the part that's missing when people are in puberty, which makes them incredibly stupid, right? Because they do all these things and they haven't developed yet the part of the brain that suppresses that, uh, those ideas. So um, really what happens for a lot of people during breath work is that because that part of the brain that normally suppresses basically shuts down a little bit, suddenly there's space for more. It's the same thing that happens in psychedelics. Um, suddenly we realize that our reality is not our reality. Suddenly we meet versions of ourselves that we've never met before. Um, suddenly we have those conversations that we've been too afraid to have because they've always been suppressed because we don't want to meet that fear. So really what this way of breathing does to you is that it shows you an alternative way of being. And once we break that barrier once, so I thought I was version A, but suddenly I've experienced in my whole body that I could be version B, C, D, and E, um, they become options. They become a potential reality for you. Um, 
And then at the same time, because of the breathing and the activation in the system, it becomes very real. Uh, we literally feel activated in our systems. But here's the trick with breathwork. Uh, it's combined with a sense of safety. And that's vital in this process. So um, if I just throw you in the unknown, uh, I throw you literally in the deep end, but you don't know how to swim and there's no bodyguard, then you're never going to jump in, right? Because you might potentially die. But what if we just before that taught you a little bit how to swim and there is a lifeguard there? Then suddenly you might say, okay, fine, I'll give it a try. So that's really what we do. We make you see alternative realities. We make you jump in the deep end. But at the same time, through the whole process of safety that is basically ingrained in it, we also say, and it's okay, you're safe. It's okay, you're safe. It's okay, you're safe. So your whole system gets to experience a different way of being. Um, and that's, that's really what transformation is about. Like, can you start to live in a different way and meet the fear that comes with that because you know that you're safe? Um, so that's why breathwork can help with this process. Does that make any sense? <laughs> it makes a lot of sense. So you mentioned that uh, you're person A, but with breathwork, you also discover you can become person B, C, or D. So it opens possibility. And you realize that you also might be safe in that other direction. So can you give an example, either from the Soul Kitchen Retreat or in your breathwork practice in London, of some someone that discovered they could also be another version and then uh, stepped into it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean... To be honest, that's that's all we do. Um, <laughs> like every process is that. But I think it's more about the, the, the breath and the breathwork process becoming a mirror. Um, I, I think it's about, well, for example, someone on the, on the Soul Kitchen retreat, right? Very successful entrepreneur. Runs a big business, um, has a lot of income. Just a, a good, smooth-looking guy, has got a lot of things in place, um, works very hard, and during the retreat comes because um, I think he wanted to work on his business, um, but also was just intrigued by this new biohack called breathwork, mm -hmm. right? And it was on the list of new things to do. Um, I don't know if that's why he signed up, but like a lot of, and I see this in a lot of entrepreneurs, right? They very much have a doing mindset. And everything is, is, is doing. That's how they survive. That's how they understand the world. So they were going to do breath work. And what was interesting was that during the process, this person actually got to see the version of himself um, that he was resisting, which was a part of him that maybe was actually quite lonely, that was actually quite scared. And that only by working hard and being successful in his job, he could navigate and understand the world because it allowed him not to have to face his loneliness, right? And as long as he was just working with other people, that was a big thing for him. So there's an element of, do you dare to breathe with it all, to really start to meet yourself, right? And, and that can really, really hit home for people, right? For, for many entrepreneurs, that can be a thing. Um, and once they're, once they're confronted with that mirror, it's like, oh, wait. Maybe actually I can tone down my work because it's it's become an escape for me rather than something that I want to do. Um, and I think based on that conversation, this person decided to actually start to work on his relationships in life. Um, he decided to catch up with friends again, to make time in his schedule to see people again. Because in the job, he was actually escaping. He was not building. 
Um, yeah, so that can be a huge thing. Yeah, so work is an interesting one. It can be seen uh, in this case example that you mentioned from a uh, point that oh, it's proves you're ambitious, hey, you're busy, uh, and it can be celebrated for a long time <clears throat> yeah. until he maybe realized that he's doing it to escape maybe other parts of his life, like meeting friends or uh, a private life. Also, breathwork helped me in that, in putting things in perspective and like slowing down because as entrepreneurs, sometimes we keep going. Yeah. Um, so in this case, he wanted to maybe see his friends more and he realized he's working too much. So how yeah. in breathwork, sometimes persons come up, you know, your mother, your father, your, your friends yeah. uh, or your ex or people that you maybe still want to have a conversation with. So how is that yeah. actually possible that then these people come up? Yeah, um, it, it, it fundamentally works on the same mechanism. So like a lot of people maybe these days have read The Body Keeps the Score or they're starting to understand that like just because you don't think about someone uh, or something for that matter doesn't mean it's not still alive in your system. But we have a capacity, we have an incredible capacity to suppress, right? And we need to, we, we are, I am I'm deeply grateful for that capacity because it helps me function in life because it wouldn't be helpful if any emotional thought that comes to my mind would um, take over any space, right? So then I sometimes take a deep breath to, to gather myself and actually come back into the moment. Um, but in a lot of these um, spaces, the reason these people come up is because we allowed for a certain spaciousness. So, well, there's, there's a couple of elements to this, but the first part is that prefrontal cortex that kind of shuts down. So that means that any emotions and sensations that live in the limbic system, in the brain, uh, when they come up, they're no longer suppressed. So that's part one. The second part is because of the way we're breathing, we are activating our system. And that's fundamentally how, to a certain extent, trauma works. So breathwork, to a certain extent, is trauma work, which means that when our body goes back into a state of activation, it often is a reflection of a state of activation that we've been in before. So, for example, when we had a fight with someone or when we, um, I don't know, in, in, we, 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 we had to break up with an ex or, or whatever it is. So the reason these people come to mind is because our body is going back into a state that it was when it happened. Um, now, why it picks that one, I don't know. I haven't figured that out. Like we often call breathwork a random amplifier. So in other words, it brings up whatever it wants to bring up and whatever it feels ready to process. Mm. Um, so why specific certain people, I don't know, but what it does mean often is that apparently a part of you was still dealing with that. And because we activate the system and we suppress the suppression, uh, it has a place to, to actually come out. And do you recommend when those people come up to contact them or, or can you sometimes process it without contacting them or does it depend on the situation? I mean, to be honest, what you do afterwards doesn't matter too much. Like, this, is, this goes back to the sense of freedom, 
right? Um, if you first learn to be with the arousal that that situation brought up and it's brought back to safety, it's, it, it, it can lose a bit of its, um, its arousal, I would say, right? And then um, thinking about that person is not that threatening anymore, right? So we literally learn how to be with it. Um, in our system, we found a place to say like, oh yeah, that memory is now safe. That engagement, the, the little box where that person lives becomes a little bit safer. Now, if afterwards you decide to contact them, you can. Just keep in mind, they probably didn't do any processing. So you might sometimes, and I've heard this, right? You show up, oh, I figured it all out. I'm relaxed now. We can talk again. But the other person is still where they are. Um, it can also have the opposite effect. So when you suddenly really show up to someone and you say like, um, hey, actually, I reflected and I can now see what happened in our relationship. This was mine uh, in that relationship. And I really want to, you know, speak up for that part. Then, yeah, that can be helpful. But it goes back to freedom. So the point is more like, can you learn to be with the image of that person first in yourself? And then from there, you can decide what you want to do rather than the emotion around that person deciding for you, I'm going to or I'm not going to contact you. But it's, it's binary, it's black or white. Uh, whereas with breathwork, we can learn how to be with that person, take back freedom and then decide what we want to do. I see, I see. So yeah, it's important when you have this big realization that you'll realize that the other person maybe didn't go to breath or retreat last week and they kind For of tune, tune, yeah. tune in with where they yeah. are. Yeah. Yeah. At some point after an ayahuasca retreat, I decided to reach out to an ex and yeah. really apologize for something because earlier I had like semi apologized, but during the ayahuasca journey, ayahuasca told me there's a big difference between semi apology and a real apology. Full ownership. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Full ownership. Yeah. And then of yeah. course I had a fear because it was like 12 years later, like, oh, what is this person going to think? Then I decided yeah. to write it, write an email with a full apology. And then yeah, yeah she appreciated yeah. it. And then we reconnected. Yeah. And at some point yeah. it was also done. But it's yeah. like, have you um have you have have you had this in your own life where you like did like a semi-apology and then later you regretted that you didn't like fully apologize and Oh yeah, completely. And not just apologies. Like I have, I definitely have people in my own life where I'm like, ah, maybe I, maybe I should apologize or maybe, or, or the opposite, right? Maybe I should be angry. Maybe I've been too forgiving. Maybe actually I should tell that person actually what you did there. I do not appreciate, right? Because it's not about only apology. It can also be about anger or forgiveness or gratitude, or it doesn't really matter what it is. So yeah, of course there's examples. And and also the opposite way, like I think I really worked on through breathwork on a lot of relationships with family members, but in my own private space, because a lot of the relationships with family members, they developed when we were very young, you know, when we were a certain version of ourselves. And then we grow up and we suddenly realize, actually, maybe it's time I grow up and I start to show up differently with these family members. Um, so, but again, it goes back to, can you find in yourself the space to fully be with that emotion, right? Because with that semi-apology referring to, apparently another, the other half still needed protection. Yeah, but, yeah. you know, it still needed protection. It was too unsafe for you to fully own that bit as well and just say, no, this was my full part and now I'm showing up with my full self. And it goes back to authenticity. 
right? Because in the beginning, you asked me, what is authenticity? And for me, it's exactly that. When you fully show up like yourself and she listened and she appreciated it because you fully showed up. Um, yeah, and that can be a beautiful thing to reach out afterwards, not to get something back, not to start a conversation, but simply to say, this was my reality, boom. Take it or leave it. I don't need anything back. You can give something back if you want it, but that's not why I reached out. Because um, most times when we reach out, we want something back. We want an apology back, or we want to continue the fight, or whatever it might be. Um, so, yeah. yeah. But I think it's interesting to, to check in with yourself if you want something or if you don't want something. Because sometimes I'd be disappointed. We have a conversation with a certain person, but then... The, the person doesn't respond to what I hoped for, but then, yeah, you want something from that person. Yeah. If you look at Bradford and relationship to parents, because that's, of course, is an important relationship. Uh, what yeah. have you seen uh, from people participating in Bradford and how they evaluated or reevaluated their relationship with their parents? I know this yeah. could be a separate episode. I mean, this is a big <laughs> question. <laughs> no, absolutely. I mean, the truth is, like in all my clients, like last year, let's say I, I actually calculated it, but um, you know, I did over like um, you know thousands of of minutes of breathwork with people, and um, almost with every one, there is something in their story that you can trace back to the relationship with a parent, uh, or the absence of a relationship with a parent. Right, it can be both. Uh, it can be a father that was working really hard and was never available. That can be as problematic for the development of a child than an, an over-involved parent, for example. So, um, almost everything, and it goes further than the relationship that you have as a grown-up with your parent or as a child. It even goes to pre-verbal, or sometimes even in the um, um, uh, when when you're still uh, during pregnancy. That's what I'm trying to say. Um, right or even even lineages are coming through and, I, and that's something i've always been quite skeptical about like how does that work like come on grandparents da, 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 da. but it's there like you are a product of the environment you grew up in and the human beings you came from so almost everything we do in life in some way shape or form what i'm seeing in therapy sessions can be traced back to something relational there um it's it's supposed to be our safe place for most people it isn't and um even though most parents have the best intentions right but to a, a creature so small when you're like you know zero one two three years old you can't you can't defend yourself yet so what is happening to that little system can be very quickly overwhelming and that's okay like i think every parent's job is kind of to mess up your child in some way and then our job is to fix that for ourselves, I guess. Um, and I hope that for most people, um, that wasn't too much or it wasn't too damaging. But um, often when we work with parts, and that's really the, the, the work I mostly do, um, there's something around parents and fear. Like I was afraid to show up like myself because my parents felt like I needed to be a certain way or um, I wanted to be myself, but there was no one there to hold me, or I wasn't encouraged, or whatever it may be. And yeah, just like people come up, parents come up all the time. And then from there, we 
try through the breathwork process and safety, teach your nervous system like, hey, it's okay, it's safe, it's okay to be in a different way. And from there we transform. Um, so really what we learn to do is what we call internal parenting. So what was scary as a three-year-old um, can be handled as a 28-year-old or a 51-year-old. I have clients that are 70 years old and only then they learn. Like actually, I'm still behaving like a three-year-old in a way. A part of me still feels like the threat that I experienced as a three-year-old, but actually now I'm 50 years old or I'm 30 years old. I can do this for myself right now. I don't need the external person anymore to take care of myself. Um, and it changes relationships. It's fantastic to see. Like once people start to do the work on themselves, they can suddenly show up as an adult with their parent rather than as the three-year-old or 10-year-old or whatever part of you is triggered by the presence of their parent, right? I mean, Christmas, we've just come out of Christmas, kind of. It's always a fantastic example of that. They, um, that's what, what is it they say? Like, if you really want to know how much you've grown, go spend a family, go spend a week with your family, right? <laughs> like, and you, go, go to Christmas with your family. Yeah, yeah, do Christmas with the family and you know exactly how much you've grown that year. Like, can you just fully relax in your adult self or is constantly still these older, younger versions of you, uh, are they still coming alive? So, um, yes, there's a lot of work around parents as well. I think why this topic is uh, especially uh, relevant and um, the funny thing of being a traveling podcaster, you never know your circumstances. I'm sitting in a Airbnb in Rio and I think five meters uh, above me, someone is like... Uh, I don't know, making a lot of noise, they're changing the house. But anyways, yeah. I think they, they stop now. So why this topic is especially important in relationship to our vision retreats is that if you have a vision that is similar to your parents' vision, yeah, you might not experience this, this challenge, right? Because it's, let's say, similar. But if you have a vision that is different from your parents' vision, then you really have to step into a version of you that maybe your parents don't approve don't approve or, or see differently. I, I'll give yeah. you an extreme example. Let's say your parents are strongly religious, strongly Christian. Mm -hmm. uh, I met a person while traveling who, when she was 18, uh, she left the church of her parents. Uh, I wow. met her on the Antarctica trip and then it, it, it led to like, you know, stressful uh, relationship. Uh, so that's when you leave the religion of your parents. But yeah. it can also be that your vision is, is different from your parents. So what's your view on when you have a vision that is different from your parents, like to what extent uh, that's a challenge for people? Yeah. Well, I think, I think in, in, in every human being, there's a deep, deep, deep loyalty towards the parent. Like um, <laughs> the moment a child is born, it only has one mission, and that is to develop the best possible relationship with a parent. And, and the best possible often means the best possible for the parent not the best possible for the child. <laughs> um, which means that children will take anything on themselves um, when it comes to their responsibilities. So if they, if they see parents fight, they think it's their fault because they can't blame the parent because they want to have a good relationship with the parent. Right? Um, and the same goes for jobs. Um, we are highly, highly aware of what parents approve of and what they don't. And that slowly becomes ingrained in us. And because we are loyal, we start to model ourselves towards that. And we do this from a very young age, and it's very hard to break out of that. So um, what we need to start to untangle is, is my vision 
uh, that I'm, well, is my, is the life that I'm currently in really an extension of the loyalty towards my parents? Yes or no. Um, and for some people, the answer is then is yes, because money was important in the family or, um, the father was an entrepreneur and you always looked up to the father or, um, uh, the parents were always working in the first place, right? Maybe they were almost kind of addicted to work. Um, so you've learned that hard work is the way. Well, if you want to find a place to work hard, become um, either an entrepreneur or work in a corporate, right? So sometimes the job and the career is in, is just an extension of the loyalty to a parent. So um, that is something that really needs to be untangled if you want to transform your relationship. Um, sorry, to, to change your direction in your job. Like untangling the loyalty towards the parent and you as an individual, as a grown-up. Because in the yep. past, you couldn't, you couldn't risk. You couldn't risk it. Uh, whereas as a grown-up, you can. Um, so that's that same fear and resistance where we started. It's resistant yep. to change. Do I dare to be someone else in relationship to my parents as well? It's, uh, yeah, it's a fear that you might lose them or that you, uh, you might give up that loyalty. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you step into a new version, if you untangle yourself from your parents, but you can still create a new loyalty when you're in a new place, right? Maybe it's a bit muddy for a while, but at some point when you're, you've stepped into that new vision, you can rebuild a relationship. Absolutely. Um, well, it's important to remember the loyalty wasn't there because of the parent. The loyalty was, a, was there for a need for safety, right? And it's a big difference. Um, you can still be loyal to your parents, but feel safe in the new version you've become, right? So the opposite of loyalty is not disloyalty in a way. Um, most parents want the best for their child. They want the, the, the child to flourish. Um, so you becoming more of yourself and taking your own direction in a way might be a compliment to your parents. And then you can still show up when they're old and they need your care, right? It's not a sign of disloyalty to choose your own direction, but to, to the young child, that's perceived as dangerous. Um, and that's often still what we're playing out. Yeah, yeah, no, I see. So untangling that loyalty is seen as dangerous, so then at some point you can step into it, and breathwork might help you to, to step into a new version. What I also think is important is a community. Uh, it's so kitchen a community is an important part of, let's say, our approach. Yeah. Because if you want to grow into a new version, it helps maybe to share your vision, to share that version with people that don't know you from before. So they don't say, oh, but in the past you didn't do that. Um, so what's your view on community for personal transformation? What's your yeah. view on the role, the role of community for personal transformation? Yeah. Well, it depends on the community, right? Because fundamentally, um, uh, community, people around you, um, can basically uh, amplify the effect of a session, right? Or amplify um, or harden you in your identity. So when you're in a community of people that know you, often we become more of a boxed-in version. Um, when we enter a community of people that don't know us, we can suddenly experiment with different ways of showing up. Um, so I think in the Soul Kitchen context, the community part is vital. Because like you just said earlier in the podcast, um, drop your history. Right? There is no history with them. So you can be any version of yourself. Um, and most of our fears and resistance have developed in the presence of other people. 
right? It's because we were bullied in school or a parent told us no or a sibling said, why are you doing that? Um, so when we go to a breathwork session and we become a little bit more vulnerable and that is seen by another person, but we're not punished, that is a really healthy recovery form for the nervous system because it's suddenly experiencing that what used to be um, dangerous, which for example, was showing up in a different way, dancing in a funny way, moving in a way that you've never moved before. You used to be punished for that, but in this new community, they're looking at you and they're perfectly fine with it. And that teaches your nervous system, oh wait, maybe what I always thought to be true is not true. Maybe I can show up in a different way. And being witnessed in that, having someone seeing that and not rejecting you um, is a huge part. And this is why in the group process, again, safety is so important. Like, can you experience a sense of safety while you explore a different way of being? Um, and being witnessed in that is one of the most powerful things there is. Excellent. Well, I think we, uh, we're coming to the end of this episode uh, yeah. by talking about this community. So if we look at the retreats that we're doing, uh, it will be five retreats uh, this year. So I will take the listener through them. So the first one is in May for coaches, consultants, and trainers, because we, we know that uh, coaches, trainers, consultants often want to increase their impact, their revenues, and their network, because sometimes it can be a lonely job if you're a one-man show. Then in July, we have a general edition for anyone that wants to come. And we have an edition for people that lost their mother before age 12. Uh, so that will be really an emotional healing retreat. And then in October, we have a founder and CEO edition, which might become a food and farming edition because the, the first two participants are uh, in the food and farming industry. And they've requested this to me, but that's still to be determined. And then the last one will be a breathwork retreat, breathwork and somatics retreat. I mean, breathwork is included in every retreat, but we'll be fully focused on breathwork and somatics. We would love to see you at those retreats. If you're interested, send me a message. Uh, you will not only join the retreat, but also become part of our vision and transformation community. Um, is there anything that you want to add, uh, Stephen, from your role? Basically, by the way, my role is to focus on um, vision and strategy and action. And, and Stephen's role is uh, the breathwork and, and, and some other stuff. Uh, but is there something you want to add uh, related to these upcoming five retreats? Um, well, it's just that I think these retreats, and that's why I wanted to join them, it's a unique format. Um, so you most of the times you see either um, retreats that are only focused on the personal development or the career development. But I think the integration part is, is huge. Um, and the way it's it's actually entangled. So um, yeah, I think uh, the only thing I want to add is consider signing up uh, because it can really uh, it can really make a difference in your life when both are tackled at the same time. Well, thank you, Stephen, for sharing your wisdom. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode. I hope to see you soon. And uh, yeah, greetings from Rio de Janeiro and greetings from where are you, London? London, yes. All right, ciao. Thank you.